Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. So freedom. Freedom is something to be celebrated, and it's something we celebrate every year. July 4th, right, is Independence Day, and it's the day we celebrate our freedom. Even before that, some of the first European settlers, they came to the, the new land, right, looking for a place, you know, everybody came for different reasons, but a lot of them came for a place for religious freedom. And then we celebrate July 4th as uh, when we signed the Declaration of Independence and said, no longer King, forget his name. And then June 19th marks the day when uh, federal troops marched into Galveston, Texas to take control and to ensure that all enslaved people were set free after the Civil War in 1864. And even today, the Statue of Liberty, it stands in, in the harbor in New York City with a torch lifted high. And at the base, it has this words, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And it's actually something that's like built into the fabric of our nation is that a lot of, you know, every one of us has this tendency to be free. But there's something that's even more important than just freedom of any of those kinds it's spiritual freedom spiritual freedom that lasts forever in order to explain true spiritual freedom i i borrowed a sentence and an illustration from john piper on this topic because i think it's very helpful he says that you're you are fully free this is just the statement on freedom actually fully free when you have the desire the ability and the opportunity that to do that what will leave you with no regrets forever so it's, it's something that gives you, you have to have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity that will leave you with no regrets forever. And notice there are three parts here. If you don't have the desire to do a thing, then you are not fully free to do that. Yeah, you might like have, okay, I'm going to force myself to do something, but nobody would call that freedom. And if you have the desire to do something, but you have no ability to do that, then you, again, you're not free to do that. And if you have the desire and the ability, but you don't have an opportunity to do it, then again, you're not free to do that thing. And if you have the desire to do something and the ability to do it and the opportunity to do that, but if it destroys you in the end, then you are not free. You're not free indeed. And his illustration to explain this is really helpful. It comes from skydiving. So let's say that you decide that you have a desire to go skydiving and you take the classes and you're set to go. However, on the day you're scheduled to go to the airport to get in the airplane to make that jump, you get a flat tire on the way to the airport. Well, the opportunity is lost, and so you're, you're not going skydiving that day. Oh, let's say you have the desire to skydive, and the opportunity comes for you but, um, to show up to an airport, but you show up there, and then they're like, oh, you never took any classes. We're not letting you get on an airplane. So you're not going to be jumping that day. You have no abilities. Or let's say you take the classes, you made it to the airport on the day to jump, you get up in the airplane, they open the, you have your parachute on, they open the door, you take one look out and say, uh-uh. <laughs> on second thought, I'm, go, I'm not going out that way. Your desire is gone. You're not going to jump, right? You have to have all three. But there's one more scenario here. Let's say you took the classes, you showed up on the day of the jump, you get in the airplane, they open the door, you jump and you enjoy the thrill of falling through the air and you pull the ripcord and nothing happens. <laughs> so it's at this point that that little crash helmet that they gave you is not going to protect you, right? It's actually wearing you for protection now. 
And you, are you free? You're not truly free. You might be happy for about 60 seconds, but you are on a quick path to destruction. You are in bondage. You're not truly free indeed. Well, here in Jesus' teaching during the week of the Feast of Tabernacles in the temple area, he offers true freedom, eternal freedom. And in this exchange, we learn that true freedom comes from believing the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and by abiding in his word. True freedom comes from believing, spiritual freedom comes from believing that Jesus is the Son of God and by abiding in his word. And there are three big parts to the message today. First of all, there's the developing process of freedom, there's the delusion of slavery, and then there's the declaration of freedom. So we're going to get into these three different parts. As I said, Jesus is still teaching now in the temple area. In fact, it covers a whole bunch of, like, three chapters of John. We've been in this a long time where Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. He's preaching in the area, probably in the court of women, where there's a whole lot of space here. And in verse 30, look what it says. We didn't read it, but look what it says in verse 30. It says, as he was saying these things, many people believed him. So, a lot of people are hearing, not everybody, but a lot of people are hearing, they're believing his word. We've heard this before. We've seen this before. Remember when Jesus fed the large multitudes of people with food? A lot of people believed it said, and a lot of people were with him. And then he started teaching this truth, saying, like, no one can come to me unless the Father gives him. And if you want to believe the Father, you have to believe in me. And in John 6, 66, it says that many disciples turned back and they no longer followed him you know, after he told them those things. So they know all the crowds left. Well, here, kind of the same way, people believed in verse 30, and then they believed some things about Jesus, but they didn't have saving faith in Jesus. And it's important to understand that difference between, um, you know, what true believing, or I would say the possession of true faith, rather than just the mere profession of faith. So those are, those are two different things. And Jesus is talking to these people saying, you actually have to possess saving faith, not just profess saving faith. And this recalls to my mind and the distinction that that I made that happened in my my mind. So like I worked in youth ministry ever since I was like in high school. So like high school students, they I when I was in high school, I volunteered with BBS. And then into college, you know, I I was studying youth ministry and I, I worked with a bunch of different youth groups in the summer and during the school year. My first job out of college, I was working at Inner City Impact. It was in Chicago. And our goal was to reach out to unchurched, primarily unchurched inner city children and youth, evangelizing, discipling them, and integrating them to a local church. And, and that was our goal. Like we had a youth center, and that's what we really worked on. So we did camps, and we did like day clubs, after school programs. We did evangelistic outreaches and events. And we'd take them camping, and we'd share the gospel. And we'd encourage these kids to make a decision for the Lord. And, you know, I would have been involved in ministry for a long time already, but it was there in that place where I learned from a supervisor when people would say, like, we'd come back and they'd say, how many people got saved, right? You ever hear that question? How many people made a decision? And my, my supervisor, a friend of mine, he would say, well, we had, you know, there were 15 kids on our trip and, like, five made uh, professions of faith or first-time professions of faith. And that was when I first realized he would always say professions of faith and stay, instead of saying these people got saved, right? Or these people became Christians. Because honestly, we hope they were truly saved, but we didn't really know if they were saved, right? Just because a person raises their hand at an evangelistic outreach event, or just because somebody comes forward or prays a prayer, it doesn't necessarily make a person a Christian. 
It's not the profession of faith that gets a person into the kingdom. It's the possession of faith. We must possess what we profess. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's kind of like when Jesus said to his followers in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Or what Jesus says here, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly, truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free or make you free. So you notice the progression of, 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 of faith here. He says, you have to hear the truth, first of all. You have to hear the truth. You have to hear what Jesus is saying, and you have to be willing to listen. Secondly, you have to believe what he is saying is true. And when I say you have to believe, it's not just an acceptance of facts, even though you have to know the facts. And yes, you have to accept it, but it's more than just accepting. There has to be an action involved. The word believe, which is like our key word for this whole sermon series in John, is believe, because that's the word that John uses all the time. In the Greek, it's the word pastuo, and it's an action verb. There's always an action to the, to the command to believe. And third, Jesus says, you must abide in his word. And again, that's a word we're going to see a lot, especially now going forward in John, especially John 15. That word abide comes up a lot. He used a lot. In the NIV, it says, you must hold to my teaching. In the Christian Standard Bible, it says, continue in my word. So it could mean remaining or holding or continuing in or progressing that's kind of like some of the nuances of that word that esv says abide in my word it's helpful too to look at verse 37 because in verse 37 it's kind of like the opposite explanation of the word abide because jesus says that his enemies want to kill him because he says my word finds no place in you or as the new english translation says it makes no progress in you or it makes no headway in you, in your life. So to remain or to abide or to continue or to progress, that means the word of God is making headway into your life. And Jesus says, by remaining, you may know the truth. And by remaining and knowing the truth, then he says, you are set free. So what Jesus is doing here, this is an encouragement to those who have heard the word of God who have responded in faith, made a profession of faith, it's like, okay, continue. Like the command John gave to the, those who, the, to the Pharisees who came out. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So in other words, it's not just, okay, I made a decision. I, I, I talk to people all the time like, who are not living for Christ, but if I share the gospel, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that when I was five. Yeah, yeah I did that. I'm like, I, I don't think you did. You know what I mean? I don't know. You might have made a profession of faith, but there's no possession of faith in your life. You know what I mean? And too many, and I've seen it all the time, churches or ministries, even ones that I've been involved with in the past, they make this mistake. I think what they want to do is, first of all, make a big show and say, go back to their supporters or go back to people or even go back and say, hey, we had an event and, and uh, 500 people got saved. You know what I mean? They want to make a big deal about it, make a big show about it and say, look how successful I am. Look how successful that is. And what they end up doing is honestly giving people false assurances of saying, oh, I did it, you know. And honestly, you know, we're part of Southern Baptists that we associate with them. And like, I'll just call them out, like, because we're part of that. Like, they're kind of the worst people sometimes. Like, but it's not just them. It's a lot of churches, all right? It doesn't matter what denomination. And like I said, I've been a part of a lot of different nonprofits that do the same thing. And uh, false assurances. And then also false converts, and then also 
giving, like making themselves look bigger by saying, look at what we did. Look at our roles. Look at our numbers. In hindsight, unfortunately, even ministries that I've been a part of and that I've led, I don't think that there's true salvation there in some of those lives. I don't think they really understand freedom. And honestly, this is very helpful too because, sorry, this is very helpful too because I was talking with a pastor once and he said, you know, his church is really small, but he said, uh, you know, we, if, is everybody who's come through these doors and a bit set free from strongholds, if they were all here, it would be, our church would be massive, right? And then I ask, and those people who are so-called set free from strongholds, they're continuing in those sins, right? And I'm like, I don't know what you did and what you told them, but I don't really think there was true freedom there. And so there was kind of a, a disconnect there. That's not what being, you know, maybe they weren't born again. Maybe there wasn't actually regeneration. Jesus is offering true freedom, but honestly, a lot of people are deluded in their slavery. And they're really blind to the word of God here. And so we have to be careful, like, explaining the gospel and understanding the gospel and what it means and what Jesus is telling us here. Because people will take things from Scripture and be like, oh, you know what? I can say this and I can do that and my life's going to be great? Sounds awesome. You know what I mean? Jesus did that for you. I'll try that. Oh, I prayed that prayer, you know, and things didn't change. Well, you were just putting your lottery numbers in and hoping that God, you know, hit the jackpot, right? That's what you were thinking. You didn't really understand sin and salvation and, and with Jesus Christ. Because a lot of people will take God's word and twist it. In fact, um, not even realizing what they're hearing, you know, because look at what he says here. How many times have you heard the phrase, the truth shall make you free? I wonder how many people realize that it was Jesus who said this. You ask somebody on the street, have you ever heard the truth will make you free? Oh, yeah, I love, yeah, the truth will make you free. Do you know who said it? No, I don't have no idea. It was Jesus who said it, right? And it's crazy how often that six-word phrase has been taken out of context. I always see it. In fact, I first heard that phrase um, when I went to college. My college, that was their motto. The truth will make you free. They, a lot of colleges will take that to say, you know, academic learning is the key to liberty. The truth will make you free. And I did go to a Christian college, but that phrase is emblazoned on a lot of universities that aren't Christian or even Catholic universities. Every place from University of Texas to Johns Hopkins to Iowa State University. That's their motto. Do they realize they're using Jesus' words there? Somebody at some time did, but most of the students probably don't. It's just a guess. Because that phrase is used in education. It's used in politics. I heard of a, a politician in a different country that that was their motto for running for office. <laughs> well, I mean, that's Jesus' words. He's talking about spiritual realities. He's not talking about political freedom. There was um, uh, liberation theology is a branch of theology that I don't think is Christian, and, and they use this phrase in in politics and liberation theology. Basically, anytime somebody wants to make a point, they can say that, right? They, they say, this is my truth. That phrase became really popular, I think, with Oprah, but then it was taken up by everybody. You know, you gotta, you gotta speak my truth. What she means is my opinion, is what she means. When people deny the truth of Jesus, they are deluded in their slavery. Sometimes even denying their enslavement. Look at how some of the people responded to Jesus in verse 33. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. 
how is it that you say you will become free? You know, it's so funny. When I first read this, I am like, um, I couldn't believe that they were saying what they were saying. You know? What are they celebrating here? What, are, what their celebration is freedom from slavery in Egypt, their country. You know, their nationhood started when they were slaves in Egypt, and now they are set free. And it wasn't just Egypt. They, their people have been enslaved by Assyria, the Babylonian captivity, Syria, now Rome. I mean, what nation did not enslave the Hebrews, right? Who have they not been enslaved by? Because everybody took their turns enslaving the Israelite people, the Jewish people here. Well, what they are meaning is that this, and this is a good point. What they are meaning is this, is that just because they've been enslaved politically didn't mean they were really enslaved. Because they were kind of getting to the point here that you can be in captivity, but you can still be religiously free, is what they were saying. Judaism taught that the study of the law makes a man free. But listen, a person can be religious and still be captive to sin. Just because you're religious doesn't necessarily mean you are free indeed. So they were close, but they still didn't get it. And that's why Jesus basically says, no, 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 I'm talking about spiritual slavery. So he answered them in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Practices or commits It's this idea of ongoing, repeated, continuous action. And so this draws our mind to somebody who's enslaved to sin, like in an addiction of some kind. And maybe you or or someone you know what it's like to be addicted to something. I have a close personal friend who had a very serious drug addiction that almost cost him his life, and he would say it felt like slavery. Praise the Lord that he... God brought him through that. You know, that's not always the case. I mean, he was near death, and he, God saved him from that. But it, addiction like that, it can be slavery. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't just talking about addiction to drugs or alcohol or pornography or something like that. He basically is saying we are all slaves to sin, whether it's legalism or licentiousness. We are all slaves to sin. In Romans, Paul is talking to Christians in 6.17 where he says, you were once slaves to sin. You were a slave to sin without the work of God in your life. And sin enslaves us in at least two ways. First of all, sin produces in us compelling desires that are sinful desires. Making things look more desirable than Jesus. That's what sin is. Wanting something above Jesus Christ, and then acting on it. And it's not just our actions in the body, but our corrupted, sinful nature draws us to want those things that aren't good for us, to want those sinful things. And then that's kind of what leads us to ongoing, deliberate, self-centered sin. And the second way that sin enslaves us is that it condemns us. Unless someone or something intervenes, sin will lead us to hell. And this is called slavery because Somebody might say, hey, I'm fine with desiring things that are, you know, other than Jesus. That sounds pretty free to me. So why don't you just leave me alone? Let me live my life the way I want to live my life. That's kind of loving, right? But listen, if I love you, I don't want you to go to the road of destruction. 
You know, and you wouldn't say that it was freeing if you realized what was at the end of that road. It reminds me of that, uh, when I was younger, there used to be PBS, uh, you know, like the more you know, and those kind of public service announcements. And one is like stuck in my head, and it's back when I was younger, uh, suicide was a really big issue. I mean, it still is. But they were running ads on TV saying like, help a friend out. And there was one picture of a girl who looked like she was on drugs or something. She was on a train track. Another girl staying beside her, and she's kind of like crying. And she's like, well, she's my friend. I, you know, she can go where she wants, and the train's getting closer. I shouldn't tell her how to live her life, right? You know, I love her. I should let her do what she wants to do. And it's like it was so obvious. You know, if you loved her, you would pull her off the tracks. You know? If you loved her, you would say something. If you loved her, you would do something in her life. I mean, that's what true loves. Even if she's mad at you for a moment, in the long term, that's what would be best for her. And that's kind of what sin does in our life, you know? We, if we don't help people that are stuck in their sin, if we don't at least warn them, it's not loving at all. And what we don't tell, we need to tell people, Jesus is offering true freedom. True freedom. Freedom from guilt. You know, in Romans 8.1, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That means you're not condemned. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And verse 2 says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You are set free in Christ Jesus. The penalty for sin has been removed and you are declared not guilty because Jesus took our guilty verdict. However, we do still live with the, even though the penalty of sin is done, we still live with the presence of sin while we're alive on this earth. And the only way we can be free from the power of sin is by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives that the Holy Spirit given to us at the moment of our faith and seals us in Christ. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives means that we are growing in our faith and we come to love God more and more and we come to hate sin more and more each day. And we gain that ability to resist sin more and more. And all those times when I was taking kids to camp and going to camp on my own, there were some people that would be like, there would be that big night, you know, where there would be a big um, message. And every now and then somebody would like leave and they would come back with like a pack of cigarettes that they had hidden, you know what I mean? Or come back with a magazine that they had hidden. Or they had brought something with them that they knew they shouldn't have brought. And they like came forward and like, threw it down and be like, I'm done with this, you know, I'm done. And I'll tell you what, I've seen people sometimes, they are set free from one day of something, an addictive sinful behavior. But a lot of people, they say, I'm done, and in two weeks, they're back to it, you know. And you just got to realize that sometimes God sets you free from something, but sometimes it's a fight, you know. Sometimes it's a fight. And so you got to do battle against sin. And you got to go back and remind yourself like the freedom that you have. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's what Paul tells his listeners in Galatia. For freedom, you have been set free. Don't put on a yoke of slavery. You know, that picture of a yoke is what oxen, beasts of burden, would wear whenever they were plowing the fields. So it's like literally a large weight that hindered your growth. Take that off. Don't go back there. Get some help. Don't pick up the bottle. Don't call that number. Ask some friends to help you on in, in, your, in your struggles, in your battles. 
You know, the second way yoke is used in Scripture is as all the teachings of a rabbi was called their, their set of teachings was called their yoke. And Jesus said his yoke was easy and his burden was light. So in other words, don't fall into the other trap, the trap of legalism, of saying, hey, if I just follow these set of rules, then there's going to be freedom in keeping these rules. Well, that's not freedom either. The solution, according to Jesus, is to abide or remain in his word. That's the secret. That's the secret, is to stay on the path. And don't fall off the path. Don't go one way or the other way. And you might have days where you're going slow, and you might have days where you feel like you're making progress. There's going to be some downhill smooth days, and there's going to be some uphill rough days. But keep on the path, and you will get to the celestial city. So Jesus says, keep on studying. If you're going to be my disciple, a disciple is a learner. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And remember who you are. You are no longer a slave to sin, Jesus says. And finally, Jesus makes the declaration of freedom in verses 35 and 36. And I love this. It's so encouraging because he's comparing the life of a slave to the life of a son. And that, that is so dramatic. And that's the dramatic difference between who you were in Adam and who you are in Christ. Who you were when you were dead in your sins and who you are now that you are in Christ. Because in Christ, you have the Son. So he talks about the slave versus the son. The son is in the house, you know, he has access to everything. He can go wherever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. He can stay as long as he wants. Everything is pretty much his because as the heir, he's going to inherit everything from the father anyway. But a slave in a household also was in the house, but they didn't have any rights. They didn't own anything. They could have been cast aside at any moment. If you are a slave to sin, then the freedom is not yours. You are a slave to sin. You cannot free yourself. Your only hope is to be set free by the Son. And that's why in verse 35 he says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So the only way that a slave cannot buy their freedom, the only way a slave can be accepted into the household is by the Son saying, I, He is accepted. She is accepted with the equal rights that the Son has. Because Christ is the Son, the one who enjoys ultimate freedom and the one who can give us freedom as well. And if he gives you that freedom, then you are an heir, Scripture says, an heir with him. And so what are you going to do with that freedom that you have? When you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus and you get made part of the household of God with brothers and sisters, number one, Recognize that. You have brothers and sisters in the Lord. And number two, I would say don't go on sinning because now you are an heir of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And your true, complete glory awaits you in heaven for eternity. So don't settle for a lesser glory here on earth. As Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So now you are free to love. You are free to serve one another, not out of obligation or duty, but from freedom. God gives us that de desire. So I want to just end with this, thinking back to Piper's definition of true spiritual freedom. He says you are fully free when you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what you want with 
without any regrets for all of eternity. So when you truly believe in Christ, he gives you the desire to please him, to please the one who's lavished grace on us. And if he gives you the ability to obey him, he also gives you the Holy Spirit to walk with you and live in you. And he gives you opportunity every day to say no to sin and selfishness and to serve others in love. And then the the greatest thing is this, that you will live with Jesus forever in heaven. And you will live a life with no regrets when you live a life walking with Jesus. You know that work that God does in our life? That is so beautiful. And one of the, the best, most beautiful, poetic ways of saying it is, if you've, I'm sure you've heard it, Charles Wesley's hymn, And Can It Be? And his description in this song, which is a poem. But listen to how he describes life when the Holy Spirit gets into your life like this. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye infused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Jesus died and rose again so that we could be free. And let me tell you something, there is so much freedom in following Christ. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed.